G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Sometimes we head off in our own direction and then we discover at some point that we've strayed so far away from God's plans for our lives. We've all done it. You have, I have. And yet the amazing thing is that God always, always provides us with a way back home. Always. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to take a look at overcoming adversity God's way, especially the sort that we've brought down on ourselves through our own choices and actions. So let's do it. Let's head into God's Word and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about a free booklet that I'd love to send you, also called Taking God at His Word, to help you live your life in the power of the promises of God. Over these last few weeks on Christianity Works, we've been looking at what it means to take God at his word. Sometimes it can seem that God's promises are just too good to be true. An abundant life, full of blessing, and we think, oh yeah, right. But it also seems that some people who meet Jesus and and end up living out this abundant life of blessing, and well, others don't. Why is that? I believe that one of the key factors in living a victorious life through our relationship with Jesus Christ is taking God at his word. Because when we see all the troubles of life, when we see the struggles of life, sometimes it's just too good to be true. Today we're going to look at overcoming adversity by taking God at his word. And it's a special kind of adversity. It's an adversity that we bring on ourselves because sometimes we go through tough times as a direct consequence of our own actions and choices and behaviours. Bad choices, wrong motives, wrong thoughts, wrong behaviour have consequences. If I spend too much money on my credit card, there are going to be financial consequences. If my wife, Jack, and I don't spend time together, there are going to be consequences in our relationship. We have to live out those consequences. And a number of times through the Bible, we see this principle that as we sow, so shall we reap. It's a spiritual, emotional, and physical principle that free choice has consequences. And we have this good and loving Father who lets us bear the consequences of our sin. The sin of gluttony, if we eat too much, we put on weight, we get lethargic, we get disease. What we eat and how we eat has a direct impact on our lives. There's a cause and effect relationship. As we sow, so shall we reap. And sometimes our own choices and decisions bring us to a place of adversity. Now, please, it's not always like that. If you read the story of the blind man, the man who was blind from birth, in John's Gospel, chapter 9, He was this man who was blind from birth, and the disciples said to Jesus, Well, who sinned, this man, his parents, 
what sin caused this man to be blind? And Jesus said, it's no one's fault. There's no sin. This guy is blind so that I could heal him. And as I look back on my life, it's certainly true. Sometimes I have done things that have brought consequences on my life and have brought times of adversity. Sometimes it wasn't my fault at all. But today we're going to look at that specific form of adversity that comes when we are living out the consequences of our own sin. And when we're in that place, when we're in that place of adversity, how do we get out of it? How do we deal with that? What is God's way? What's God's wisdom for us? We're going to go to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, and we'll be looking at specifically verses 6 through 12. So if you have a Bible, go and grab it, open it up. It's the last book before Matthew's Gospel. It's a short book, only a few pages long. And we're going to see the relevance of how God provides us with a road back. Now, in this particular passage, you may have heard this passage a lot of times in your church. We're going to read just right now verses 8 through 12. And it says this, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? And God answers in your tithes and offerings. You're accursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I'll rebuke the locusts for you, so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in a lot of churches, you hear that particular verse quoted, and it says something like this. If you tithe your income, that is, give a tenth of your income to church, then God will open the windows of heaven and bless you. Now, there is truth in that because there is a spiritual principle that as we sow, so shall we reap. And if we sow abundantly into God's kingdom, then God will bless us abundantly. The problem is that we can take this verse on its own out of context and all of a sudden God becomes like a a slot machine. You know, we put a coin in, we pull the handle and the money flows out the bottom. And, And that's not what God intended because this passage comes in a particular context. It comes in a context where Israel was supposed to be getting blessed. You know, they started off with the promise of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob had 12 boys and the whole of that family ended up in Egypt and they grew into a large nation and God took them out of slavery through the Red Sea, through the exodus of 40 years in the desert into the promised land, the land that he'd promised to Abraham. And they went through a time where judges ruled the land and then kings and then Israel split into two nations and because they were unfaithful, in 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire overran Jerusalem, destroyed them, took them into captivity for 70 years And then God brought them back after the 70 years. Now, the exiles returned back, and you'd think they'd have it all sorted out by then, but they continued on with their failure to obey God. There's several wonderful pictures in the books of Haggai and in Zechariah that once they come back from their Babylonian captivity, that God will bless them. You know, God will pour out his blessing on this land, material prosperity. If you look at Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, there's this sense of, of the captive streaming back into this land of abundance. Yet, the completion of the temple, they rebuilt that. It hasn't ushered in all this blessing. They had an expectation of blessing, but instead of blessing, 
there's Persian domination. There, there are hostile foreigners. There are plagues. There are droughts. There are locusts. Isn't that like our Christian walk? God promises this enormous blessing, and sometimes we turn around and we say, but hang on a minute, this isn't a blessing at all. This is hell. All these bad things are happening to me. God, why are these bad things happening? What's going wrong? We're going to have a look at exactly what God tells Israel when we come back after this short break. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. Following Jesus means going against the flow in a society that's increasingly headed in that opposite direction. Hey, that's not easy. It's, it's not easy to believe in the promises of God when the world's telling you that they're not true. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called Taking God at His Word. It's full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you live your life firm in the promises of God. In fact, at the end of each chapter, you'll find a series of life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. To request your free copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com, or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Okay, so let's dive straight back into God's Word. Well, there was Israel back in the promised land again. They'd have prophecy after prophecy of blessing. And all of a sudden, they discover, they turn around, they say, life is actually awful. Life is not going well at all. Have a look at what Malachi writes in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. You have spoken harsh words against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it is vain to serve God. What do we profit by keeping his command or or by going about as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Now we count the arrogant happy, evildoers only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. In other words, things were not going as well for Israel as they expected from the prophecies that they'd been given. Now Malachi is the last of the minor prophets, the last book of the Hebrew canon, the Old Testament. And it's a monologue from God. It's God's perspective. God points them to the problem and he gives them a solution. And here's the problem. Let's just quickly move through the book of Malachi and have a look what God says. In chapter 1, verse 2, he says this, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. I have made his hill country desolation and his heritage a desert for jackals. God says, I have preferred you... When he says, I have loved Jacob, he is saying, I have loved you. God says, I love you, yet you show contempt for God's love. And then you look further down in verse 6, and he says, look, a son honors his father and servants their master. If I then am a father, where is the honor due to me? And if I am your master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? You say, how have we despised your name? by offering polluted food on your altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, isn't that wrong? Oh, that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. 
They weren't putting God first. They weren't giving God their best. The whole sacrificial system was set up so that animals would be sacrificed, a blood sacrifice, to atone for sin. Now, we don't go through that anymore because Jesus is our blood sacrifice. Jesus died for us. We're forgiven through that sacrifice, but that wasn't the case back then. And God had commanded them to give their best, their first fruits, their best animals, their best food in sacrifice. And these people were giving God their second best or their third best. And worse than that, the priests were bored. Look at verse 13. What a weariness this is, you say, and sniff at me, says the Lord. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering? And further down in chapter 2, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to me, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessing, and indeed I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Their hearts weren't in it. They were going through religious rituals without ever really thinking about it. And the the population followed them. In verses 8 and 9 it says this, But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble in your instruction. You have corrupted the promise of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you have not kept my ways, but you have shown partiality in your instruction. So God's people have been through this enormous thing as a nation where Jerusalem was destroyed and burnt down. For 70 years they were in captivity. They come back. Wouldn't you think they'd have learned their lesson? Wouldn't you think they'd have it all sorted out? No, 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 no. They do the same thing over and over again. And then look what happens. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And this you do as well. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor at your hand. And you ask, why doesn't he? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did not God make her? Both flesh and spirit are his. And what does one God desire? Godly offspring. So look to yourselves and do not let anyone be faithless to the wife of his youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and covering one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless. He is talking to a faithless nation. People were getting divorced. They were being unfaithful to their wives. They weren't honoring God. They weren't putting him first. And surprise, surprise, God didn't bless them. Surprise, surprise, they were not living in the blessing that God had planned for them. The problem, according to God, is sin. And God says, you wonder why you're not being blessed. And they're thinking, has God taken a holiday? Can't he cope with us? Doesn't God want to bless me? Why are the locusts eating our food? What's going on? And God says, it's not my faithfulness that's at stake here. It's yours. I chose you. I uphold you. And I continue to bless you. I chose you. I uphold you. And the only reason you are still alive is because I am the same. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord your God, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. The only reason I haven't destroyed you is because I made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac. I promised to bless their offspring, and you're their offspring. If I hadn't made that promise, I would have destroyed you by now. The problem is your sin, your imperfect offerings. Not the best fruits, not the first fruits, the second and the third and the fourth fruits. You're bored with me. You're unfaithful. And we do that sometimes in our Christian walk too. We're a living sacrifice. 
We don't give God our best. We get bored with God. We stop reading God's word. We stop praying. We stop enjoying his presence. And we chase after other gods. And we we chase after worldly ideals. And God says, what's the matter with you? Are you surprised that you're not being blessed? The most important thing for God is the relationship that we have. He, He takes it so seriously. His son died to give us that. And we race off and we do other things and we wonder why God isn't blessing us. We are living through the consequences of our own sin, of our own rejection, of our own rebellion of God. And because the relationship is so important to God, he won't let the blessing flow while we're doing that. It's his way of giving us a wake-up call. It's his way of bringing us back home. It's his way of saying, I love you. So when we're living through the consequences of our sin, can I encourage you to hear those words in the middle of that? I love you so much. I'll let you live through those consequences. Well, God made a road back for Israel. And we're going to look at what that road looks like right after this break. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional, a powerful scripture verse, together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or, if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see that Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or, if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. That's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. All right, so let's head back into the word of God to see what else he has for us today. We're looking at this whole dilemma of what happens when we live out the consequences of our rebellion of God. And this is where we pick up the answer. God looks at Israel through this book of Malachi and says, You people have forsaken me. Despite everything you've been through in the Babylonian captivity, you haven't learned. You're not putting me first. You're not honoring me. You're just going through religious mumbo-jumbo and routine. But really, your heart's not in it. And I want your heart And until your heart's in it, well, you're not going to be blessed by me. And the people rightly go, well, what are we going to do about it? In fact, they ask that question in the book of Malachi. Let's look at it beginning at chapter 3, verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them, says the Lord. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? This is the crux of this whole small book of Malachi. They've left God. And God says, I want to be with you. I want to bless you. I want to spend time with you. Come back to me and I will come back to you. God always, always 
wants to have a relationship with us. There's never a time where God says, well, you know, I know this person believes in me, but they've been so bad, I'm never going to spend any time with them again. I'm going to reject them. No, because he sent Jesus to die for me. He sent Jesus to die for you. There is never a time where God rejects us in this life. And here the people say, well, okay, okay, we know we know we've done the wrong thing. We know we've failed. We, we know we've gone in the wrong direction. Um, but now what? H- how do we come back to you? You say, how shall we return to you? And in answer to that question, this is what God says. This is this passage about tithing that we read earlier on. He says, will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Isn't that interesting? They say, how shall we return to you? And God points to one thing that they're doing wrong. Will anyone rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and your offerings? You're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. You see, part of the Mosaic law, part of the law of Israel, part of the law of what we call the Old Testament today, was that every one of God's people had to give one-tenth of their income to God's work. It was called a tithe, a tenth. It was part of the law. It was almost, well, it was. It was exactly like... We have to pay taxes today. And if I avoid my taxes, the tax office will come after me. And ultimately I can be fined or put into jail. It's against the law. And Israel was breaking God's law by not giving God the tenth, the tithe that was due to him. And God said, you're robbing me. Now, they were doing a whole bunch of other things wrong too. We read it before. They weren't putting God first. Their heart wasn't in it. They were just going through the actions. They were being unfaithful husbands and wives. But God just picks one thing out of that. In answer to the question, how shall we return? God says, this is the one thing I want you to do. I'm not going to get you to fix everything and all your mistakes and all your sin and all your rebellion at once. I'm just going to pick one thing. Start tithing again. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So seed while things aren't going well. Because things weren't going well. Locusts were eating their food. They didn't have a lot to spare. Bring the full tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you an overflowing blessing. How can we come home? Just do this one thing. Just obey me, because loving me is obedience. Obedience that you can actually cope with. Don't you love that about God? We may have a problem in one area of our life, but God knows who we are, what we can cope with. So he may choose something quite different in another area and says, be obedient in this area that I know you can cope with. And when you've been obedient there, when you're working there, when that bit that I've put my finger on through my spirit and my word, when that's working, just watch and I'll bless you. And then as I'm blessing you, there are lots of other things that we're going to deal with too. But I know you can't deal with those now. So just deal with this one issue. I think that's awesome. And then God says, I'll rebuke the locusts. I'll make sure that they don't destroy your food. I'll make sure that the vine isn't barren, that the windows of heaven will be open and my blessing will pour out. That's God's love. That's God's encouragement. Because God rewards our faithfulness. No father will bless a child that's not being faithful. Dad wants to bless us. 
but he wants more than that, a relationship with us. That is just so awesome. And look what it says down in verse 16 of chapter 3, just finishing up this discussion of God's blessing. Then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord took note and listened, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and thought on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act. And I will spare them as parents spare their children who serve them. Wow. God wants to bless us. But that blessing, that hand of blessing, comes off our lives when we rebel against God. Because more important than the blessing is the relationship. More than anything, God wants to have a relationship with us. And so if you're traveling through a time in your life when you know that you are living the consequences of your own failures and your own sin, I would encourage you to do this. Go to God and say, Lord, how shall I return? And I promise you that God will speak to you through his spirit in the most amazing way and say, be obedient to me in just this one area of your life and put me to the test. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out all my blessings on you. It's time to take God at his word. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to lay hold of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Those powerful, life-changing promises in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give toward the ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach over 2,500 people with a gospel message. So a gift today of, say, $35 can touch over 85,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Wow, it's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, please don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet I mentioned earlier. It's called Taking God at His Word. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond, and I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.